This is Dance on Air, the podcast, and I'm your host, Jordan McHenry, and I am here with Annabelle Lopez Oachoa, who is one of Bali Hispanico choreographers for their Apollo show this year. Hi, Annabelle. Good morning. Hi. How are you today? Uh, I'm well. I'm still dealing with jet lag, so I just woke up like a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> so I'm on another time zone, but I'm here in Europe since yesterday morning. I'm doing well. I just finished a two weeks intense and intensive process with the Bella Hispanico in New York. And uh, we just teched the piece at the Frank Sinatra School, which means that we've put the lights on and the costumes on. And then I will see them again in a month on a preview show somewhere in St. Joseph's and then we'll hit the stage at the Apollo Theater. Well, that's what we're here to talk about is the Apollo show. But before we get into the Apollo show, let me talk to you a little bit about where you come from. You're based in the Netherlands, but you've had an extensive international choreographic career. But you started as a dancer for Scapino Ballet. Yes. started as a dancer uh, in uh, South Germany. Both companies were based on theater, theater dance company. That's the big thing in the in Germany. Then I joined a modern jazz company in Holland, uh, in The Hague, called JazzX. That was, uh, yeah, experimenting with jazz and contemporary. Then that folded, unfortunately. So I joined the Scapino Ballet, where I stayed for eight years, and I finished my dance career there. What? caused you to transition from being a dancer to being a choreographer? Because for some people, they just know right away. Or what was your transition like? Well, I always choreographed. I started choreographing by the age of 11. So it was kind of, you know, something I did in my free time. I really loved it. But I didn't know that you could be, you know, professional choreographer or live from it. And then when, uh, so I always did it whenever I had a free time in school, but also in companies. And with uh, Scapino Ballet, we had a yearly workshop, so I could be serious about preparing myself for that one time a year. And my director at the time saw that I was obsessed and passionate about having that workshop, the choreographic workshop. And so he gave me an opportunity for to make a small piece for the the regular programming of the company. And then, yes, you know, that piece became a bigger piece. And then I made a piece for the Dutch National Ballet, a small piece for their choreographic uh, workshop uh, in that last year. And then I decided that I enjoyed so much choreographing that I could not concentrate or focus completely as a dancer because I was always in my head coming up with ideas and music. So I decided at the age of, uh, 20, uh, the age of 30 to stop dancing and to give all my energies into choreography. And I gave myself five years. If I wouldn't work out, then I would do something else. But it worked out. Yeah, it definitely did. Can you speak to some of the notable experiences you've had as a choreographer? Uh, Moments that were really a landmark for you? I think one of the landmarks for me was when I was asked by the Scottish Ballet in 2012 to create a narrative work. I had never done it before. I had worked with actors before. And so with Nancy Meckler, a theatre director, we did a streetcar named Desire. And that opened so many other doors. But also it opened a, a world to me where I felt very comfortable. I liked telling stories. And I like that work of dance go, is about something, even though that dance movements with music is also very beautiful. For me, I always need to have a very strong concept, otherwise I don't know which movements to give to the dancers. 
And so from uh, 2012, I was approached by other companies to do uh, narrative work in full length. And so I, th- I believe I'm on my fifth full length right now. So I did, uh, last time I did uh, the Little Prince for Ballet X that's coming to the Joyce very soon. And for the Royal New Zealand Ballet, I'll be doing Dangerous Liaisons. And Tosa Ballet is reprising Vendetta, which I did last year for Le Grand Ballet Canadien. So, yes, that's been, I think, a landmark in my choreographic career that I discovered that storytelling element and I love it. And I'm being asked to, you know, invited to do it in other places. You've choreographed for Dutch National Gothenburg, but you work a lot with Ballet Hispanico and that's partially due to your heritage. Can you speak to where you come from in this respect? Yes. Yeah, so uh, after coming to the Fall for Dance in 2006 with a tiny little piece of mine, the light design of Fall for Dance approached Eduardo Villaro, who at the time was the director of Luna Negra, and said, I might have someone that you, you might be interested in for, for your company. And so we met a year later or a year and a half later and invited me. And for some reason, it was the first time that the director asked me to use my heritage and my descent to to do something with it uh, on on stage, and it, it was odd at the beginning because for me being Latin was always that side. I'm you know half Belgian, half Colombian. The side that I was a little bit embarrassed about, ashamed because I wanted to belong into the white world that I grew up with, and suddenly you know a director asked me to use that. So I. I did it and it was wonderful. The first show that I did was Luna, uh, was Luna, was Nube Blanco, and the premiere was at the Harris Theater in Chicago. And uh, the audience uh, reaction was just overwhelming. They were understanding all the humor and the jokes that I had put out there, and they were uh, reacting to the Mexican rancheras that I had used, that was the music that I grew up with. And yes, for me, I realized, oh, I, I don't have to be ashamed of that heritage. On the contrary, I have to use it. And so even now for my other work, I use my uh, Colombian background and Latin descent as a source of inspiration for movement and for the, the theatricality that I put in my work. So every time I come to Ballet Hispanico, which is now for the fourth time that I made a, a new piece there, it's like coming back to a family where I feel very comfortable and we speak sort of a bit the same language. And obviously I'm a mix, I'm a cocktail between the Belgian culture and the Latin culture. And that is something that uh, Eduardo finds interesting, that I have all this uh, background in European uh, companies as a theater maker, as a dance maker. It's wonderful to go back every time. The show you're choreographing for is called The Power of the Latina Voice, and it's the Ballet Hispanico show at the Apollo November 22nd and 23rd. You have a brand new piece, and this is what really caught my eye, was the description of this piece. So I'm making a new piece called uh, Tiburones. Uh, The idea uh, sprung out of uh, Eduardo Villaro asking me after we had just found out that it was just announced that there was going to be a remake of West Side Story on Broadway and a remake of West Side Stories in Hollywood. And he, he, he was a little surprised that there were no Latin names like Lin-Manuel, was not even a part of this after being so successful with Hamilton. So he was a little, dis- yeah, discouraged me too. And I thought, oh, is that uh, called cultural appropriation or are we not seeing the big 
uh, Hollywood productions. And we wanted to uh, make an answer to that. And first of all, the first thing that I did was, um, so it's only, it's not the sharks against the jets. I don't want to antagonize someone in the piece. And uh, we want to look at who are the sharks and what is West Side Story? What is, you know, West Side Story being based on the story of Jerome and Juliet by uh, Shakespeare? What is that if you only look at a group of people that are the Tiburonists? And so from there, I deconstructed the idea of uh, West Side Story, everything that belongs to it, Learn Bernstein, John Robbins' choreography, and I repatched it together to make a new version of what is the sharks, if you would call it, in West Side Story. And so, yeah, it's been a, a wonderful journey uh, of discovery, all the elements and the beautiful and incredible piece of art that West Side Story is. But when you look at it uh, now, you see how society has developed and you see how strange it was to put non-Latin actors trying to copy a Latin Puerto Rican accent and uh, being all Latin and, and see how Hollywood at the time proposed a cliche idea of what being Latin was. So it was nice to, to work with that, to see, but what if it's not, what is the cliche and what is not cliche? How it would have been interesting to have actually a Latin maker on these productions now. So yeah, it's, um, it was nice also in the, in, in the uh, costumes, I'm decomposing costumes and recomposing them. So we've taken a few garments of fresh colors, and then we re-sewn them, uh, we've re-sewn them together. And I think that's what the work, the concept of the work is in the costumes. And that's how you understand how the piece came about. So, yeah, we are looking at, we're saying something to, uh, to Hollywood to, please, don't look at us in such a cliche way. We're much more nuanced than the, the image that you want to put us out there. You've touched on something really interesting about identity in the United States versus maybe Europe or other places. I mean, everybody has their own identity issues, but is there something specific about America and maybe Hollywood that as someone who grew up outside of America, do you see that is the problem in art making? I mean, of course, culture goes in waves, and that depends every time of what the administration is and what their their policies and their expectations and priorities are. The current administration, I feel, has demonized a little bit the Latin because of all the exodus that is happening, you know, at the border. So it's it's it informs a country what we think that you know Latin America or Mexican people are or. Uh, for that matter, you know, Puerto Ricans. And it, it is dangerous to inform them a certain way because then we might have ideas or uh, preconceived ideas of what Latin people are instead of getting to know them personally first. For me, also, Hollywood has quite a funny idea of the, the Latin crooner is the Antonio Banderas. The Latin person is always sort of like this smoldering, sexy-eyed kind of man, male, very, very masculine, very macho. But if you would only have Latin uh, actors in a movie, well, who would be Antonio Banderas? You know, suddenly yeah. you wouldn't have be able to do that and to uh, make the cliche of the Latin lover uh, being one of the, the characters. So... Um, 
yeah, it's uh, I, I'm playing with that also in the piece where I've decided to relax the, the or, or to enhance the fact that we see them as, you know, especially the male, the macho man. Uh, and I've put you know, him on, on, on high heel shoes, which normally you would expect in Latin piece, you would have the ladies on high heel shoes, smiling, you know, smiling away and salsaing away. So I'm playing with the gender fluidity of how sexy the Latin woman has to be and how sexy the Latin man has to be and exchanging the roles where the women are in charge and the men are just being uh, objects of uh, sexiness. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's one of the the little excerpts that I have in my piece, obviously the piece is not just about that. But yeah, like I said, it's a patchwork of many ideas onto the Latin culture that we have that I'm bending, uh, tilting and see, you know, showing it in a different light. I think this type of work, especially because of what's going on in the United States, is super relevant. How do you like working with the Pali Hispanico dancers? What They're such incredible dancers. Can you speak to what it was like to be in the studio with them these last two weeks? Well, like I said, it's, uh, it feels like a family, and it's not, you know, it's a culture that Eduardo Bilaro puts onto the company. And they, they do feel that they are the voice of uh, a culture in, you know, in the United States, and they're representing that demographic. And so they feel very responsible about how, what it is that they put on stage. And that's wonderful to, you know, to work with thinking dancers who know what the the aim is for the company, the mission. They're very much aware of, of the mission of the company. Yeah, it was wonderful to be able to talk about the topic. And uh, with Side Story, it was also wonderful to see that, you know, we have a Cuban dancer. He had never seen West Side Story because these movies were not shown on television when he was a kid. So that was also interesting that we were like made aware of that also. So, like I said, the, I, I like the diversity of the company very much and uh, it, it will show in the piece. And uh, they're very athletic and they're very dynamic as a dancer. So I was very happy about that. Definitely we use that all, all those elements in the piece. One final question, which I ask all of my guests is, do you have an artist who is inspiring you right now who could maybe use an uplifting shout out or who's maybe unfamiliar to some of us in the dance world that you'd like to tell us about? Well, I, I enjoy very much the work of Akum Khan, which I always did. I love the fact that he used, you know, his katak uh, Indian dance uh, background with you know uh, the contemporary dance so I like that to see that mix and to learn something about that culture so yeah I love all of his works I have to say (laughs) but that was maybe an easy one already everybody knows him but I've been a fan since uh, 2005 when I first saw his work in in Switzerland that was uh, that blew me away Annabelle, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Jordan. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.